You have probably heard the old saying, like father, like son. Well, this morning we find out in this passage it's like father, like daughter. This morning's passage is just about as much about Michal as it is about David. Michal, of course, is David's first wife. However, in this passage, she is not referred to David's wife at all. Instead, very notably, three times she is referred to as Saul's daughter. Whenever you see something that is repeated in a text, it is noteworthy. And so we find that the emphasis of this passage is Michal's relationship to Saul, that she is his daughter. Notice verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul. Verse 20. And David returned to his house to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul. Verse 23. Michal, the daughter of Saul. We all know that Michal's the daughter of Saul, but it keeps reiterating this fact so you don't lose the connection. That connection is key to understanding this passage. And we will make that more obvious and plain as we get to the end of the message. But we just want to keep in mind that this is primarily about the fact of Michal and her being a daughter of Saul. There is a tremendous significance in that, as as I said. As we look at this passage, we find that David has a desire to be a blessing to both the nation and to his family. In verse 18, it says, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. That was his primary goal and function, that was to bring a blessing upon the nation. And then in verse 20, and David returned to bless his household. Well, those are David's intention, to be a blessing to the nation and to be a blessing in his household. Last week, we saw that David had become angry with God or God breaking forth in wrath against Uzzah for touching the ark. We saw that it was a result of David's own sinfulness in failing to transport the ark in the way in which the word of God directed. And so David was responsible. David eventually, after three months, humbles himself, acknowledges his sinfulness, and now is in the process of moving the ark of the covenant once again in Jerusalem. But this time, he's doing it in the way in which it is scribed in the Word of God. He has humbled himself in a very meaningful and we will see a practical way. David's humility in moving the ark into Jerusalem. And today, we learn of Michal's response to David's humility. She believes it's inappropriate for David to act in the manner in which he does. So the first thing we want to note this morning is David, in humility, seeks to be a blessing to the entire nation. As the scene opens, Michal is a distant spectator to the celebration of the ark's entrance into the city, verse 16. 
as the ark of the Lord comes into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window. She is not there, though other women are present. She most likely viewed it as beneath her position and dignity to be a part of this procession. Most likely, this is a manifestation of her spiritual indifference, her apathy, and in some ways, an outright rejection of God. We don't know a lot about Mikhail as an individual, but we do know that it appears that she was a worshiper of false gods. If you remember back in 1 Samuel, on an early occasion, Saul had been seeking the life of David. David was at home with Michal when soldiers came to arrest David. David snuck out, and Michal put an image, it says, in the bed to hide the fact that David wasn't present. So 1 Samuel 19, 13 reads, Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. Now, the reason I make note of that is this image is an idol. And it's an idol that she has close at hand. It's an idol that she has in her home. And she uses this idol to bring about protection for David. That's a glimpse into where Michal is spiritually. And then, of course, we will find more in this text this morning. Now, we see the response that Michael had to the celebration. Verse 16, the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And then we read, and she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. This word literally means to belittle, to make small. In her heart, she belittled David. She thought less of him for the way in which he was conducting himself as he was bringing the ark into Jerusalem. He became small in her eyes. She was disapproving, to say the least. That information is background for what is going to come later in her interaction with David. But now the focal point is on the ark being brought in Jerusalem and David's role. We find out that they placed the ark in the tent that David had prepared for the ark, verse 17. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. It's important to realize that this tent is not the tabernacle that normally housed the uh, ark of the covenant. We know that it was not the tabernacle because the tabernacle was in Gibeon until the time of Solomon. That's told to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 3. And Solomon, all the assembly with him, went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness, was there. So this is a tent, not the tabernacle, but it's a tent that was made to temporarily house the Ark of the Covenant. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings in verse 18. 
And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he then blessed the people. End of verse 18. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now when it says that David blessed the people, he could have done that directly or indirectly. David may himself have pronounced a blessing upon the people, or he may have done it through the priests and commanding the priests to give a blessing. It really uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, what is stressed, though, is the all-inclusiveness in which David is seeking to bless the people. He wants every single person to experience a blessing. And the way in which that is manifested practically is that food is going to be distributed to all the worshipers. And again, the emphasis is on the all-inclusivicity. Notice verse 19 and how we have these repeated words to demonstrate the all-inclusivicity of what is taking place. And distributed, here's the first phrase, among all the peoples. And now said again in a different way, the whole multitude of Israel. Then elaborated upon both men and women. A cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. And then again the words to each one. So we have among the people. We have the whole multitude of Israel. We have both men and women. We have to each one. The emphasis again is the fact that it is a, a total aspect of blessing that is to be universally experienced among Israel as the way in which God is watching over his people. The point is everyone is to participate in that celebration and they are to experience practically by eating these materials which would have been a part of the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. The way in which peace offerings were celebrated in the Old Testament was that they were to be brought and they were to be offered unto God, but they would be distributed among the people. It was a part of the party atmosphere, if you will. Uh, it was a way of celebrating the Lord's goodness and provision. Here they are, they're all participating. Now David goes home in order to be a blessing to his people, to his family. Verse 20, and David returned to bless his household. However, David encounters a very unhappy wife. Mikhail rebukes David for his behavior. Verse 20, and David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants. This is a very sarcastic statement, how the king of Israel honored himself today. She didn't think that he brought honor to himself at all. He thought, she thought that he dishonored himself, that this was totally inappropriate for his stature as a king. This statement is accompanied by a gross overstatement, which is not uncommon. When people find fault, and especially when they find fault erroneously, they often exaggerate what has taken place. And she does just that in verse 20, where it says, how the king of Israel 
honored himself today with these words, uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. The word uncovered there is literally the word to make naked. He says, my how you have conducted yourself today, nakedly parading yourself among the female servants. That was a gross exaggeration. David had done no such thing. David was not naked. That's why we're told in verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all the might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. What she was saying was a gross exaggeration. But her point is that David behaved himself in an embarrassing manner, a manner in which she, he should be ashamed of himself. For he had taken off his kingly robes, that is true. For one of the most important occasions in his relatively new role as king. Here was David with the most public demonstration of his kingship up until that point. This is almost like an inauguration. And this is a festival that the king is overseeing. But David doesn't wear his kingly garments. He doesn't wear his crown. He doesn't wear his robes. He puts on a linen ephod, which was the most simple, basic form of dress that one could take on. He dressed as a commoner. Now, it's also true that the, the priests would wear linen ephods. She says that his behavior is like that of a bum, a no good. Notice at the end of verse 20, she says, today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows. The word for vulgar here in the Hebrew means to be vain or empty, purposeless, purposelessness, common, a nobody, a nobody. Uh, a homeless person, a person without direction. You show up like a commoner, and worse than a commoner. Just about everybody there was best dressed better than you were, David. What in the world are you thinking? You dress like a person of no rank, no means, no standard. You look like a pauper. Like you couldn't afford decent clothes. As far as she was concerned, his dress was totally inappropriate and unsuitable for the occasion. Michael is more concerned with what the maidens will think than what God will think. Now we have David's response. David's response is that what David had done, he had done for the Lord's benefit, not for the young women or anyone else's benefit for that matter. Verse 21. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. It was this very same God who had chosen David over Saul and all Saul's descendants. Now we're going to begin to get to the chase, the heart of the matter. 
Notice in verse 21, it says, And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord. Now notice how he describes the Lord. Who chose me above your father and above all his house. God had made David king instead of Michal's father. Furthermore, God had chosen David over all of Michal's relatives. And she had not gotten over that. She was proud of her heritage. She was proud of her father. And she was proud of the way in which he conducted himself. Saul would have never conducted himself in this way. In her mind, Saul acted like a king. David, you're acting like a bum. Like you have no pedigree. You have no understanding of what it means to be a ruler over God's people. God had made David king for the good of God's people. Well, verse 21. He says, David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house. And now for this reason, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. That's what he wants of me. I am to be prince over his people. And it is the Lord's people. It's not my people. And David goes on and says that he will give the Lord the praise and the thanks that the Lord deserves. The end of verse 21. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Furthermore, David says, you think that was bad. He says, you haven't seen anything yet. If that's going to bother you, look out for what's coming. For he says, in verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will do more humiliating things than this. In essence, you're going to have to get over it. David will not be promoting himself. He will be promoting God. And that is going to be evidenced in the next chapter in which David desires to build a temple for the Lord. David is going to view himself as unimportant and insignificant. Unimportant and insignificant. Notice verse 22. It says, I will make myself yet more contentable than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. Now, here, I, I don't think that's a, a good translation of this verse. And if you read any of the other translations, it's not in your eyes, it's in my eyes. Listen to the NAS. I will be more highly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. 2 Samuel 6.22, I'll be more than this and will be base in my own eyes. NIV, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. The text reads, in my own eyes. 
probably the ESV, since it's talking about the way in which Mikhail is viewing David, it changes it to say, I'll be even more humble in your eyes than this. That's not what the text says. I'll be more humble in my eyes. Well, why am I belaboring that point? Answer, because his conduct stands in such stark and drastic contrast to Saul. To Saul. When Samuel came to Saul to tell Saul that he was no longer going to be the king over Israel, that God was displeased with his behavior, Samuel first addresses Saul with these words, 1 Samuel 15, 17, listen. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. He says, Saul, in the beginning, you were little in your own eyes. You were humble. You listened. You were teachable. You want to do what God says, but... Samuel says, but, but, but you grew proud. You grew arrogant. And you started doing your own thing your own way and worshiping God the way you wanted to worship God. And of course, we have those famous words, to obey is better than sacrifice. Because you thought that you knew better. So this, in your own eyes, David says, in my own eyes, It's contrasting Saul and David in his behavior. How he's going to view himself. How he's going to view his kingship. And he's going to view it as not all about me. But rather, it's going to be all about God. All about God. Furthermore, David says Michal is wrong. David in his humility will gain the respect of the servant girls, not lose their respect, verse 22. I'll make myself yet more contemptible than this. I'll be based in what I believe is my eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. David says this wasn't disgraceful. This wasn't beneath me as a king. And the people know that. And the people are going to respect me for that, he says. Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. David says, this is going to be a mark of my kingship. This is going to be praiseworthy of how I conduct myself. What a different view of kingship. What a different view of proper behavior. And then we have this climactic statement, verse 23, which reads, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Why is it so noteworthy that Michal did not have any child to the day of her death? 
It's not just about Mikhail. There's so much more going on here, that, and you need to understand the, the incredible dynamics. In the grand scheme of things, it's important that Mikhail does not have a son so that he will have no claim on the throne. Now, as you trace this passage and the previous passages backwards, if you look at verse 21, David said to Mikhail, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel. That's key. God chose me over your father, over your brothers, over anyone in your family. God chose me to be prince, king over Israel. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, went all the way back there, Samuel says to Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. It should not be lost that Mikhail's barrenness was fulfilling what God had said about Saul's descendants. Here is the significance of the text repeatedly reminding us of the simple fact that Mikhail is Saul's daughter. Verse 16, verse 20, and verse 23. Had Mikhail had a son, since she was David's first wife, her son would have had a claim on the throne after David's death. He would have been the primary person that people would have looked to to be the next king. Especially since his grandfather would have been Saul. And since his grandfather would have been Saul, there would have been a continuation, if you will, of Saul's kingdom through his grandson. But God had said that that would not happen. There would not be a descendant of Saul sitting on the throne. So here we find that God's activity is consistent with what God had said. But we also see that it is consistent with the justice and goodness of God. We're to see God's purpose being fulfilled. The SV Study Bible has an interesting note on this particular verse, and it reads, and I'll quote it, the text does not say what caused her childlessness, leaving the reader to reflect on whether it was a natural result of the rift between Mikhail and David, or whether it was due to God's judgment of Mikhail, as would seem to be the case, or her contempt toward David in his divinely appointed role as king of Israel. Well, that's all true as far as it goes, but there's much more to it than this. There's much more to it than simply there was a rift between them and they didn't have sex anymore. doesn't say that. I don't think that's what happened. But it's also much more than just the fact that Mikhail had spoken out of turn in relationship to David, 
although that is part of it. It is the overarching plan of God regarding the end of Saul's kingdom. And here it is. Here it is. The last chance for Saul's kingdom to be preserved is wiped off the face of possibilities. This is God's fulfilling his word concerning Saul's lineage. God in his grace sovereignly does not allow for that ambiguity and problem to arise. But I would point out another important lesson here that keeps us from just looking at this one incident and seeing the overarching purpose and the sovereignty of God. And that is, it isn't just that Mikhail didn't have any more children after she confronts David. It isn't that she stopped bearing. She never had any children. There were none. She had no child to the day of her death. Not just from that point forward, but from all the time that she's married to David. And we certainly know that David is not impotent. Or he has loads of children, and we see them all over the place, but Michal has no child. This is the purpose of God, but we see her activity, how that is in keeping with and demonstrates the reality of what God has been teaching about Saul's kingdom all along. So, some final takeaways. First, like father, like daughter. Michal's view of the kingship was like her father's view of the kingship. As Saul was self-promoting, Michal wanted David to be self-promoting, and she was self-promoting. As in Saul's pride, he dishonored God, and as a result, dishonored David, so too, in Michal's pride, she dishonors God and then dishonors David. And Saul dishonored David because of David's service for God, and Michal dishonors David for David's service for God. As in Saul's pride... God brought Saul low. So too, God brings Michal low. As God removed the kingship from Saul, God made it impossible for the kingship to continue through Michal. There was no possibility that she would become the mother of the next king. Michal did not receive the honor that she so desperately wanted and the heritage that she was seeking to establish. We're working through these chapters verse by verse by verse, and I hope it's not becoming too tedious for you. But as you do, you, you see the progression. And in the next chapter, we're going to see the progression of David wanting to honor God more and more and building a temple and God responding by saying to David, there will never cease a person 
from your lineage sitting on the throne. David, there will never be an end to your kingdom. And ultimately, that's filled in Christ. But it doesn't come from Mikhail. The second thing I, I want you to note is David's principled response. David had made a promise to Jonathan. And that promise to Jonathan was that David would not bring any harm to Saul's family. And uh, if you remember, he wouldn't stretch out his hand against Saul even. Even when Saul was out to kill him. David, his conscience got the best of him when he just cut off a piece of Saul's robe and he said, who am I to do that? David does no harm to Mikhail. The reason I don't even think that uh, necessarily sexual relationships did not end is it doesn't say that she then continued on in her widowhood, which we're going to see in other chapters with people that have. So the point here is that she lives. She lives. You may not think that's a big deal. But in the Eastern kingships, a wife that would have responded that way to her husband would have been killed. Normally. That's what take place. Remember in the book of Esther, she couldn't even enter the, the presence of the king without him reaching forth his staff and saying that she's invited into his presence. For her to ridicule him in this way, but there is no judgment from David upon her whatsoever. In this chapter and in the future, None. It's left in God's hands. David has a principled and governed response. That's important for us to keep in mind. That we always need to have a principled response. Next, we need to remember that Mikhail did not just dishonor her husband. More importantly, she dishonored the Lord. But in dishonoring the Lord, she dishonors her husband. What was a day of great rejoicing in the nation it was a day of sadness in David's home. David wanted to be a blessing to everyone. David wanted to celebrate the goodness of God. David wanted everyone to see what God had done in providing for the nation. How was God was watching over and protecting it. And he gets home to this wife who doesn't get or see any of that. Who's just upset because instead of taking credit, he's giving credit to God. But most importantly, David is not dissuaded by Mikhail's reaction. He doesn't give up. 
doesn't quit. And I don't think he says it in a mean way. But he says, you haven't seen anything yet. You think I humbled myself today? Wait till you see the future. And he says, that's not the way of dishonoring myself. But actually, I will bring honor to myself. And indirectly, it should have been to Mikhail as well, but not because of her reaction. Nor should we be dissuaded by those close to us from following the Lord and acting the way in which we should. Unfortunately, sometimes even our loved ones, who though they mean well and want to guard our reputations, give us some bad advice about how one's reputation is really guarded. What's the most important thing that somebody can say about you? What is it that you would most like to hear? What compliment would you like to receive? How do you want people to think of you? Obviously, Mikhail wanted David to be thought of as powerful. Powerful. Rich. A king like no other. David wanted to be thought of as a man after God's own heart. Didn't always succeed in that. We're going to see that David fails time and time again. And yet there was a reality to his desire to see God praised. More than himself. More than himself. He was more concerned about God's reputation than he was his own reputation. Oh, may God free us from worrying about what people think and worry more about what God thinks. May we be known as people who put God first. It should not be lost that David elevates the worship of God with a desire to build a temple, and God speaks of a descendant of David that will be on his throne forever and ever. Next chapter. That's the connection between this statement that Mikhail has no God. That kingship is coming to an end because the pride of that regime, like father, like daughter. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we know that there is a temptation for pride. And we, we get to the New Testament, and one of the very first things it says about one who's going to be becoming a ruler in the church, an elder, that it says should not be a novice lest he become puffed up, lest he become proud, lest he think more about himself and his service than God and his service. More concerned about reputation than following 
the Word of God. Guard us all, I pray. Help us. Help us not to be the chaos in our, in our own home. Help us not to discourage our loved ones from doing what is right and holy and good and just. Oh, Lord, allow our ministries to continue on. I, I pray you'd allow this church to continue on. I, I pray, Lord, that you would allow generation after generation to continue to worship and love and serve you. May we understand the connection. Lord, may we faithfully, faithfully discharge our duties, our responsibility, our worship of you in such a way that it promotes and blesses all of your people, even as each one took a part of this offering we're able to eat that food. Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every one of your people, that we would so interact with one another, that we would so encourage one another, that we would so help one another, that each person might rejoice in the goodness and faithfulness of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.